There's a little boy by the name of Philip. He was born with Down syndrome. He attended a third grade Sunday school class with several other eight-year-old boys and girls. Typical of that age, they didn't really readily accept Philip. He had some challenges fitting in. But with a very caring and creative teacher, she found a way to, to make him feel accepted as best she could. The Sunday after Easter, she brought some of the empty Easter, plastic Easter eggs and brought them to the class. And she asked them to do an assignment for her. She gave them the little empty plastic Easter egg and said, I want you to go out outside of the church into the churchyard and the bushes and around in the, on the church campus. And I want you to find something that is a symbol of life to you. Put it inside the little plastic Easter egg and bring it back. We'll open them up and see what everybody has found. So the kids went out and they scurried around all over the church grounds and the churchyard and in the lawn and in the bushes and the trees. They came back and the teacher began one by one to open up the Easter eggs. She opened up one and there was a butterfly and all the kids oohed and odd. It was exciting. She opened up another and there was a flower. She opened up another and there was a leaf. She opened up another and there was a dirty bug. The kids all laughed. Then she opened up one and it was empty. The kids all kind of, oh, somebody didn't do their assignment. Philip defended himself and said, yes, I did. It's empty. Because the tomb was empty, and that's the symbol of life. Well, from that day forward, Philip was a full-fledged member of the class because he has outsmarted all of them. But sadly, Philip's life tragically ended shortly after that. He had an infection that he just couldn't shake off. And do I need to pick up another microphone? Can you hear me? It was an affection that most children could have shaken off, but he couldn't. At his funeral, the students that were part of that classroom, they came down one by one, not to bring flowers to put in his casket. They came down one by one following their teacher to bring empty plastic eggs. They placed them there as a symbol of life. You see, the empty tomb reminds us of new life, but we can't get to the empty tomb without going through the darkness of Friday. You can't get to Easter without going through the trauma and the pain and the tragedy of Friday, the death of Friday. I want to take a reading from Matthew chapter 27, and it says in verse number 32, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their 
heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli. Lama Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a whole lot to unpack in this story, but I want us to back up just a little bit to 40 days ago, our time. 40 days ago, Ash Wednesday, many people entered into the season of Lent, forsaking certain things, forsaking certain foods forsaking certain activities, forsaking uh, media, technology, maybe forsaking certain people. So I've been thinking about this word forsaken, and that's what I want to call this tonight, what I want to share with you, forsaken. When we stand at the altar and commit ourselves to our spouse, to our husband, our wife, we make vows forsaking all others, keep the only un to you. If we go to a place that seems abandoned, we call it God forsaken. But I, I've never known, and you've probably never known what it is to be completely forsaken. Now, we've had people walk out on us. We've had people do us wrong, but we've never been completely forsaken because God has always been there, right? And although there have been times in our life where we felt misunderstood, maybe we felt betrayed, we've never really truly completely been forsaken. There's always somebody there. But imagine thinking that God has forsaken you. Is that where Jesus was on the cross? Was he on the cross when he said those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did he feel completely forsaken? Now he made seven statements from the cross, but there's this one that has my attention. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Four Hebrew words, which simply mean something that I think will change all of our relationship with Jesus Christ if we understand the true meaning of what Jesus was saying, because I believe the answer is powerful. Why did Jesus say these words? Why have you forsaken me? Was it just because the, the traditional thinking is that sin came upon him? God could not look upon sin, so God looks away. He feels forsaken. But yet we carry sin in our lives, but God has never walked out on us, never forsaken us. I believe there's part of that, but there's three reasons. I want to share real quickly here why I believe Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number, two, number one is this, to show us that he's the Messiah. He simply wanted to show us that he is the Messiah, the one who has come to take away our sins. Why would he say these words? Because he's given everyone who's watching, everyone who is there, a bigger picture of what's going on. 
Now, when a rabbi would teach his students, he would use oftentimes a method of teaching called remez, which remez simply means hint. He would give a statement. Maybe it would be a passage of scripture, but you would have to know the entire passage to get the hint. If the question was, what's the color of the sky? The rabbi could say roses are red. You know, the violets are. There's the hint to the answer. But in a scriptural way, Jesus was in the temple. He was healing the sick. And because of this, there were children that were saying, praise God for the son of David. And of course, the Pharisees got mad and they began to question Jesus. And Jesus responded to them and said, haven't you read the scriptures? Which was a total insult to people who only studied the scriptures. Have you ever read the scriptures? Out of the mouths of babes, you have perfected praise. And he stopped because what he was doing, he was quoting a portion of Psalms eight and they knew the rest. And the next part of that verse was to silence your enemies who are seeking revenge. So he throws this shade at him. Have you ever read out of the mouths of babes? You have perfected praise to silence your enemies. What is he telling us to shut up? I mean, this is the, this is the shut up statement in the Bible. But when he was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This was another remez. This was Jesus quoting David from Psalms 22. Because in Psalms 22, verse number one, you can see on the screen, David writes a thousand years before this event. He writes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. And then I'll skip down to verse 16, where it says, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment." So Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the chief priest and the elders and the teachers of the law are all there. They're mocking him. They're at the foot of the cross, mocking him, telling him, if you're really the son of God, come down. He says those words and naturally in their mind, they start to repeat in their mind the rest of the verses. And they start hearing this in their own mind. They pierce my hands and my feet and they're seeing his hands and his feet pierced. My bones are on display and they're seeing his bones on display. People stare and gloat and they realize they're in the middle of this moment that was spoken 1,000 years before. They divide my clothes among them. These chief priests and elders and teachers of the law are watching Roman soldiers cast lots for the garments of Jesus. And they realize in that moment that he's the Messiah. Many come to a realization that he's the Messiah. A Roman soldier says, surely this is the son of God. One of the thieves hanging on the other side said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So a thousand years before David is inspired by God to write these words, 600 years before crucifixion was even a thing. And he wrote these words inspired by God because one day the son of David, one day the son of God, one day Jesus the Messiah would come and he would hang upon that cross and he would utter these words to declare, I am the Messiah. 
I'm the one who has come to take away your sin. That's what Jesus was saying. Jesus is woven all throughout history. And he's woven throughout our lives right here today. Because there's even more going on. You know what else Jesus was wanting people to understand? Number two, to remind us that we will never be forsaken. We will never be forsaken. People may walk out on you. Friends may walk out on you. Your family may walk out on you. But Jesus will never walk out on you. Jesus was forsaken so you wouldn't be forsaken. He was broken so that you would be made whole. His blood was shed so that you could experience healing that comes from the cross. So let me ask you a quick question here. Why did Jesus actually have to die? I know our initial response would be to pay the price for our sins. But have you ever thought about this? We all forgive people, right? Do you require a sacrifice to forgive someone? I mean, some of us have been deeply hurt, deeply betrayed, and yet you found it in your heart to forgive without asking for a sacrifice. I mean, there were probably somebody that cut you off on the road maybe today, and, and they waved their hand, and usually that means, oops, sorry, please forgive me. And most of you probably, out of the goodness of your heart, you forgave them. Yeah, I doubt anybody pulled that person over and said, I'll forgive you, but I'm going to require a sacrifice. I need your spare tire, please. No, we forgive. And I think all of us would agree that God is much more forgiving than we are. God is much more kind than we are. God is much more wise than we are. So why did God require something to forgive that we don't require? Let me back it up just a little bit. Have you ever played darts? Have you ever played darts, unless you're a real pro, there's this little small bullseye in the middle that occasionally gets hit but regularly gets missed, right? You get points for hitting around it, but I mean, just to get on the dartboard is a good thing. But I bring this up because the word for sin, harmatia in the, in the Greek is a word that simply means to miss the mark. It's an archery term, to miss the mark. It refers to aiming for the bullseye, but missing the mark. And that's what Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. When I say something I shouldn't say, when I do something I shouldn't do, I've missed the mark of perfection that God has established. So the next issue is what's the penalty for missing the mark? Well, we know what God did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and told them you can have all of these trees in this garden, but this one in the middle of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat. If you eat of it, you will surely die. So death was the penalty for missing the mark. The harshest sentence possible. And that's the thing that so many people have a hard time with. Some people think it's kind of a little harsh there, God. I mean, I mean, okay, you know, punish us, but death, that's kind of strong. And we struggle with God and we say, God, you should, you know, forgive us because we're generally good people. And that may be true, but the goal is not generally good. Generally good is not what we're going after. That's not the bullseye. Good enough is not the standard. Perfection is the standard. And if you're here tonight and you say, yeah, but nobody can be perfect. Exactly. And that's why Jesus had to die. Because none of us could be perfect. 
You see, God can be totally just by setting the highest standard and the harshest penalty because he can also be incredibly loving to pay the price for every one of us. That's how awesome God is. And Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And here's the last thing, number three. Why did Jesus say those words? Why have you forsaken me? What was he trying to convey to those that were listening that he was the Messiah, that he was forsaken so that they wouldn't have to be forsaken? And he was offering eternal life, something beyond this life. Now you think about it, when you and I, if you're married, when we said yes to our spouse, you said yes when you were at your best. You said I do when you were at your best. I've, I've performed hundreds of wedding ceremonies and I've never seen an ugly bride. They're always beautiful. The guys clean up pretty nice too. But they are beautiful. They are at their best. I've, I've never seen a bride walk down the aisle in a bathrobe and curlers in her hair and a facial cleansing mask on. I've never seen a, a groom standing up there in his khakis and flip-flops and tank top and a fishing rod in one hand. If, any, if, if we presented our, us at our worst, we'd probably have runaway brides, right? But what do we do? We, we present ourselves at our very best, and we said yes to one another when we were at our best. But do you know that Jesus said yes to you and me when we were at our worst? Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, when we were still lost, when we were at our worst, he died for us. The cross wasn't something that caught God by surprise. The cross wasn't something that, that oh, I didn't see that coming. Now think about it. Prior to God creating an Adam, Adam and Eve, he knew that the relationship, to have a relationship with you and me was going to cost him something. It was going to cost him the life of his son. And he believed that a relationship with you and me was worth his son paying the price on the cross. That's even why it says in Hebrews 12 too, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning at shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him. What was the joy set before him? A relationship with every single one of us. That's the joy he wanted to make possible for every one of us to have a relationship with the heavenly father. So God set the whole world in motion, knowing what loving you and me was going to cost him. It was going to cost him the pain of the cross for his son. And he was willing to do that. To have this moment where we come in relationship with him. And the reality is we will never really know the full depth of what it cost. Our kids do this to us oftentimes. Kids break things. You know, and we get mad or we get upset or we get sad and brokenhearted and Kids just kind of look at us like, what's the big deal? Just buy another one. Because they have no idea the cost. They don't have a concept. 
for what it costs. And then sometimes there's something even more tragic and they'll break something that's irreplaceable. Maybe it's something that's been passed down from generation to generation. And they break it and your heart is broken and you're crying, you realize that it can never be replaced. It was that vase or it was that china or it was something that, that your great-great-grandmother passed down. And you know, it can never be replaced. And they don't have a clue. And sometimes I think we do this to God. We sin. We miss the mark. We fall short. And we say, God, settle down. It's just... It's just one sin. It's just one mistake. It's just one bad choice. It's just one bad season of life. Settle down. It's not that big of a deal. And I think God tries to say in as loving way as possible, you have no idea what that one sin cost. You have no idea cost. He sent his son to die for us. It was a cost that we can't really comprehend. But when Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, everyone got a front row seat to see exactly how much it cost. What they were watching was not the tragic end of a good man's life. What they were watching was the ultimate expression of love to a world that had never seen what that kind of love looked like before. And when Jesus was on that cross, there was a thief on his right and there was a thief on his left. And one didn't get it. One said, if you're the son of God, get us down from here. But there's another one that did. He finally realized what Jesus was saying while hanging on the cross. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today, today, no hesitation. You don't have to do any penance. You have to go get yourself cleaned up. You don't have to go make sure that, you know, you're a member of the church. No, he just said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. So tonight, we get to decide which one of these we're going to be. Are we going to be the thief on the right or the thief on the left? Are we going to be the thief that rejects? Are we going to be the thief that accepts? And I want to challenge you to make sure that you're accepting him. You see, Jesus died so that we could experience the reason for our existence, which is to know God, to be in a relationship with him. That's why we're put here on this earth, to have a relationship with God. That's why nothing in life makes sense until you have a relationship with Christ. That's why everything seems so meaningless. That's why the stuff we buy seems to not satisfy. That's why uh, we, relationships seem to fall apart and, and nothing seems to click until we have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Then things begin to make sense. I mean, it's like having all the puzzle pieces on the table in front of you, but no box top to be able to try to put it all together. It's like everything's messed up. Everything's missing. Because there's nothing worse than climbing a ladder of success and getting to the top 
and realizing your ladder was against the wrong wall. A lot of people have tried to achieve success in so many different ways, but nothing matters and nothing makes sense until you meet Jesus. Then it all seems to come together. And what I can say to you tonight is God wants to forgive you. God wants to heal you. God wants to restore you. God wants to help you make sense out of life. He has made the move towards you, and now it's time for us to make the move towards him.